Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast, and today we have Dr. Leslie Davis. Dr. Leslie is a staff therapist at Washington University in St. Louis, also is a licensed clinical professional counsellor. How are you today, Dr. Leslie? I'm doing very well, thank you. And whereabouts in the States are you right now? So I'm actually in O'Fallon, Illinois, which is very close to St. Louis, Missouri. So about 20 minutes from downtown St. Louis. It's funny for me because I I know how big states are. And and yet when sometimes if you're right on the cusp, like you can enter a total different state uh, within within 20 minutes. And uh, uh, one of my favorite cities uh, is in Illinois, which is Chicago. I mean, I've always loved Chicago. I've been there several times really love the people, love the vibe. Is it is it a city that you really resonate with? Chicago is actually one of my favorite cities. Um, I went to college of, in a suburb of Chicago, Wheaton College, and I never wanted to leave, but I had to. <laughs> I had to come back home. Um, but the, I'm actually going to be in Chicago in a few weeks to support one of my colleagues. I love it. I Honestly, I think between Chicago and Austin, Texas, they're my favorite two cities in America that I've visited so far. I really just love, they've got a real hotbed for entrepreneurship. I mean, with Chicago, I love jazz music and I love ginger beer. You know, I think they've got more Michelin star chefs than anywhere else uh, in the States, I believe. Yeah, they do have good food. Yeah, yeah amazing food. Right, anyway, let's uh, let's dive straight in. Otherwise, we'll be talking about uh, jazz and, and ginger beer and, and food uh, for the whole duration. Um, <laughs> funny, so... Why is it your mission, Leslie, to empower women to break free from toxic relationships? Why has that become such a mandate for you? Helping women to break free from toxic relationships is so important, especially for single mothers who get wrapped up in these bad relationships, you know, one after another. And it feels like sometimes their life is just kind of stuck because of these relationships that they're in. And I think that a lot of women don't know what a healthy relationship looks like because they've never seen it. They've never seen it modeled for them, you know, with their family or even with their friends sometimes. And so if they don't know how to break free from something that's toxic and they don't understand that what they're in is toxic, they're never going to leave it and they're never going to find something that's healthy. So part of what I like to do is help women understand what their attachment styles are. Um, And so recognizing how they're attached to certain people in their lives, which that can be different depending on the relationship. And so I like to um, help them understand it, see it, and then make better choices because they have new information. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'm going to go a little deep on that, especially around attachment as well. I love the book Attachment, where it talks about whether you're a secure attachment, an anxious attachment or an avoidant one often uh, derives from our childhood. I find that stuff very fascinating. Now, often when we we come across somebody like yourself, and often even in my case, the things that I tend to write about or speak about tend to be things that I've experienced. 
Are we led to believe that, you know, your heart for wanting to free other women from toxic relationships is the result of you being in one yourself? Yes, I am not ashamed to say I have been in toxic relationships um, until I found my current partner. I'm definitely in a very healthy relationship and he helps me thrive and I help him thrive as well. Um, but yes, in my past, you know, I've been in multiple toxic relationships where, you know, I've actually been abused. And it's interesting that that happened to me because I didn't grow up in a household where there was abuse. Mm -hmm. And so when it happened to me, I'm like, I knew the statistics, you know, it's typically something that repeats if you've seen it or you've experienced it with your parents. And that wasn't my story. So I learned that, you know, toxic relationships can happen to anyone. It's based off of our choices um, from the information we have. And so over time, I, I started to recognize um, I myself experienced symptoms of depression. I didn't know what it was because I didn't have the training and no one in my family or my friend group talked about depression. And once I recognized, I went to um, school to get my master's in counseling and I start recognizing some of the signs in myself. I'm like, oh, that's why I've been feeling this way. That's why I've been dating the same type of person over and over. And I wanted to change that, not just for myself, but for my child, because I'm also a single mother. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. I find that a lot of us that are doing what we do now is because we, we've been through the pain, the struggle, the heartache, the learnings, the new uh, understanding, the revelation, and then wanting to support, encourage, protect others that may follow on, on a similar path. Now, I've, I'm sure most of us have heard this word or these words, toxic relationship, but, but tell us as best you can, and I appreciate it's quite a comprehensive uh, understanding of the word toxic relationship, but what does a toxic relationship look like? Toxic relationships can look like um, feeling so attached to the person that you're with that you don't feel safe without them. Um, you can't breathe without them. Some people will even say that I can't breathe without this person in my life. Um, and it becomes toxic when you are not yourself. You're not your authentic self in that relationship. And you also can notice that your partner may not be themselves. So there's um, damaging behaviors. There's damaging language that's put out there. Uh, there may be um, words that are used that you've never heard about yourself before. So you may be blamed for things that you know you're not doing. Um, you may be called um, very uh, derogatory <laughs> terms because that person just wants to hurt you. And sometimes when you're in this toxic relationship, you don't necessarily see that it's toxic. You just say, well, that's just the way they think or they're different or they're going through something and you make excuses for the other person's behavior, Reckon, you know, besides calling it what it is, it's toxic. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I think whenever I think of toxic first, I always think, you know, this person isn't good, you know, for me, they cause trouble or anxiety, or they're mean. And obviously, it incorporates that. But you also said, actually, it's, it's almost like we're handing over our identity, and our worth and our value and our happiness into the hands of somebody else, which isn't always about that person, it can actually about us giving ourselves over as well which I think is a really important thing because we might not always associate that with being toxic yeah I think it's important to recognize that being in a toxic relationship you can be toxic yourself so it's not always about your partner who's hurting you you can also do the same things 
as a response to being hurt. Mm. So how then can we identify and establish these healthy connections? We've talked a little bit about these are the things that don't work. So then how do we start to find and establish these healthy connections? Like in your case, you found a man who supports you and now you support him. How do we do that? It takes time. Um, I think a lot of times it takes you seeking information to get better, to get healthy. Um, one resource that's out there that is free is my podcast called She Matters. And in my podcast, I talk about you know attachment styles, helping you recognize what your attachment style is and also the attachment style of your partner. Um, I also go into information about red flags and relationships and setting boundaries. And I think that is the key in any relationship is setting a boundary to keep you and your partner safe, to keep that relationship healthy and ongoing, um, but also recognizing when you're crossing the boundary yourself, because we can do that. We can set up a boundary. For example, let's say we don't want our partner to call us at a certain time because we need to get our sleep. And then they call us and we still answer the phone. So not only did they cross the boundary, but we crossed it ourselves. Um, so it takes time to really see, take an inventory of our own behavior. Mm. What am I doing that is hurting myself? What am I doing that's hurting my partner? Is this something that I can change? And if it is, dig deeper into, well, how do I change that? And a lot of times it takes a third party to help you see that, which is where I come into play as a therapist and as a relationship coach. Mm. Um, you take time with that person and break down what their cycle is, what it's been, and, and help them understand, well, what do I really want from a relationship? Mm. And that takes some, some deep work. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it can take years to untangle yourself from toxic relationships and toxic patterns. Mm. Yeah, I love this stuff. I always find it fascinating. You know, if you're anything like me and you want to keep growing and, and anything in my life that doesn't serve me, I, I want to work through it. I remember working with a psychologist uh, over uh, the COVID period because I saw it as a great opportunity. You know, I could identify a few things that used to trigger me. And I used to not enjoy the physiological response that I would get from these moments of being triggered, which derived from my childhood or my parents divorced and I came from a broken family, you know, having that anxious kind of attachment because uh, my, my mom and dad were no longer a unit. I, I knew exactly where it had come from, you know, and there was always these times where if somebody went quiet on me, it would leave me in, in a place of anxiety. I'm like, are they going to come back? You know, and, and having to work through that uh, is fascinating. So I'm really fascinated by by triggers. And, and I do think that um, we have to do a little more with the old flags, because whenever you hear red flags, when somebody says, oh, Matt, that's a bit of a red flag, you immediately kind of like kind of kind of want to run for the hills. And you, it's got a real negative connotation, red flag. Uh, and I think we need to be doing more about green flags and really raising the barrier and what that looks like. What, what do you think about that? I totally agree with you. I wanted to mention something about the word trigger. I think in the beginning in relationships, we are triggered and we can see it as excitement. Like, oh, this is new. Um, something our partner might be doing is it feels good or like, I've never seen that before. I've never met someone like that. And we look at their flaws and their red flags as something that's positive in the beginning. But over time, as it's repeated, then we start to notice this isn't good behavior. This is not good for me. I don't like that I'm being triggered right now. 
And now instead of feeling excited, I'm feeling scared or I'm angry or I'm frustrated with my partner. Mm. Um, Yeah, green flags is definitely something that we don't talk about. We're always talking about the negative things. Mm. Um, So if we take time to look at, well, what's good? Mm. You know, sometimes we have to sit with that for a little bit before we can even recognize what is the good thing in our relationship? What is the good thing about me? Mm. Um, Because we're always looking at what do I fix? What can I fix? What can I can make better? So. Exactly. And we're all, we're all human, so we're all flawed. I think it's the attitude. I think it's the attitude toward, towards taking responsibility for wherever we are in life. It's our, our commitment and desire to want to keep growing. Uh, that, for me, is the most important when it comes to the people that I'm in relationship with. Are they wanting you know, to be better? You know, it's we can all say, you know, like I, I can openly say and, you know, I have a secure attachment, but I, there is elements uh, through because of my childhood where sometimes I do get anxious uh, about certain relationships, depending on whether I've heard from somebody or, or not. That does put me that kind of can put me into a trigger state and I've learned how to soothe that and manage that without completely eradicating it. You know, and, um, you know, for me, having um, being in a relationship with somebody who 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 owns that and is working on that for me is like a massive like green flag, because there's always something that each of us will have to keep moving the needle forward with. Yeah, definitely applaud you for doing the work. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't want to take that first step to get healing mm. and working with the therapist. I mean, that's so oh, important because you have a professional who's trained, who's not going to judge you. Um, where you can really be open and transparent with your experience. Mm. Uh, some of the work that I do is really helping individuals dig deep into their past. And they may have memories that they push to the side. Um, some things that they witnessed even um, that still stuck with them. And that's being carried into their relationships as adults. Mm. Yeah. And we're talking about like getting healing and, and, and taking responsibility and getting healthy so how then do we help and strengthen our own emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being? What, what are some of the things that we can be doing? We've obviously talked about how, you know, I honestly believe that everybody should work with a, a psychologist. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're at in life. I think working with a psychologist or a therapist that is so, so invaluable. Like I literally yeah. remember saying to my psychologist, you're going to love me. And she said, why? And I said, because I know what the problem is. I just can't overcome it. And I have quite an extensive toolkit. I've been in personal development for 16 years. And it frustrates, it frustrates me when I'm triggered and I can't keep it. I can't keep a lid on it. Like help. <laughs> um, but how, how do we help and strengthen our own emotional and mental well-being? Yeah, I do believe your psychologist loves working with you because you have the words, you have the language to use. That's sometimes the the piece that individuals struggle with is having the words to say, like, I know what I'm feeling, but I don't know how to express it. And working with the therapist, you know, they will help you build your emotional word bank is what I call it. We have these primary emotions that we focus on, you know, being happy, sad, I'm mad, I'm angry, um, but we don't go deeper into, well, if you're angry, what else is there? Are you embarrassed? Are you um, frustrated? You know, there are so many other words that we can use, but we're not challenged to do that. And I think 
part of the growth is being challenged in ways that we didn't think about, which is what the professional is supposed to do. They're supposed to push you a little bit, mm. um, not just comfort you and give you the space to cry or, mm. you know, express your frustration and just hold you. That is a part of it. But the other piece is let's push you a little bit so you can grow. Mm. Um, I think part of working on your emotions and your spirituality is really looking at what's important to you. What are your values? So, um, taking inventory of, you know, what have you grown up with? And is that something you want to carry on into your future? Um, looking at your parents' um, emotional expression. So what did you see in your household? Even if your parents were separated, um, you know, I can imagine that there are kids who overheard conversations with their parents on the phone um, and their expression, even after that conversation was had, what does your mother do? Did she throw the phone when she got upset? Did she stomp off into another room? And so we, we do what's modeled for us. Um, and so sometimes it takes that work to undo those things because we think it's just who we are or that's what our family does. But we do have choices to make different decisions and make um, different choices for our behavior. Mm, very, very true. And then we talked a little bit about attachments. And I like we've already said, you know, I really find it fascinating, the whole attachment but how do we develop healthy attachments how do we actually put in some of the hard the hard yards because we we all have an attachment whether we like it or not um do we just have to accept the attachment we have or can we find healing and freedom so one interesting thing i found during my dissertation work was that attachment styles can change over time so we may develop one from the beginning of life and that carries on for a little bit but we can change our attachment style with doing the work and it can change depending on the relationship that we're in. So you may have a secure attachment with your mother or your sister or brother, but then when you're in a romantic relationship, you might be anxious. So it just depends on who you're, you're in that reaction or interaction with. Um, to change your attachment style, to get more secure, it is helpful when your partner, whether that's your family member, your friend or romantic partner is secure themselves that gives you a secure base to work with. And if you don't have that in your partner, that's what the therapist is for. The therapist can be that secure base for you. Um, the challenge also comes in when there's people of two different attachment styles. So for example, if you have a partner who's anxious and then you might be avoidant, well, that anxious person is going to be all up in your face, you know, calling you all the time. What are you doing? Who are you with? Did I do something wrong? Like always wondering what's going wrong in the relationship or waiting for that relationship to fail. And you as the avoidant person, as soon as you pick up on that, you're going to run, <laughs> you know? So you may want this relationship, but it's not worth it to you. And you don't see that the person is independent like you are. And so you might try to run away from that, or you might try to sabotage that relationship and um, damage the person in the process. So becoming more secure, um, first, you have to understand, well, how am I not secure? Um, looking at, am I anxious or avoidant and why? And once you recognize that, let's undo some of that work with, okay, if I'm anxious and I'm always nitpicking on the person that I'm with, or I'm blaming that person um, as the avoidant person in the relationship, well, call it out, recognize it, and do the opposite of that. So if you're always running away, challenge yourself to step up and stay in the conversation. 
if you're anxious, try to shut yourself down a little bit and listen. <laughs> oh yeah. I've been in that wheel. Um, you can become each other's worst nightmare and it's not even intentional, especially if, you know, the attachment is from where we at that point as children were an innocent party. But then when you're a 40 year old man, you can't keep going back to the fact that when I was eight, something happened at, at some point you do have to take responsibility and you have to go get the help. You have to go, you know, fi find a way. Otherwise you'll continue to hemorrhage and, and you'll miss out. Now, me being vulnerable, because I, I love being vulnerable, because I believe that's what builds trust. And that's when we can really go a little deeper. And I think that's when people really pay attention to what uh, we're saying, like collectively. It's interesting, isn't it, when we talk about being secure, because there's a part of me that really believes that Mark Sefton is not an island. So it's, it's I've always find it really fascinating, like psychologically, and that, and that of being true to myself of how, how to find that sweet spot of being independent and secure, uh, but also acknowledging the fact there is certain things in life that we, we actually can't self-love or self-care to the same level as what we could experience through somebody else showing us love. And that could be as simple as a hug. You know, you can put your arms around yourself uh, and that feels okay, but it never will replace the substitution of an embrace. So how, how do we navigate through through moments like that where we're trying to get to a place where we're secure, where we're saying, you know, I can I can function like on my own, but but actually we're not an island. We we need each other. So how do we soothe ourselves when maybe we don't have uh, a person to even hug us? I think that's the question every single person has, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we are built for connection and connection doesn't always have to be romantic. Mm -hmm. We can still get connection through, you know, our family, our friends, um, even churches. Um, we can even find that connection through a pet. You know, mm -hmm. there's something that's activated within us when we are able to touch. Um, and so the pandemic really affected that where we were isolated um, sometimes, you know, those who are single and living in their own space, isolated for such a long period of time, and that really did some damage to our emotions and our mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to get out in the world or just seeing someone having conversation from a distance is helpful. But getting that physical connection is important as well. Um, if you think about the way isolation is used as punishment, even the prison system. Very good you know, we, we branch out and we say, you can't be around people because you're a danger. So I'm going to remove you and that's going to hurt you. And we know it's going to hurt you. Well, why would we do that to ourselves? There are people who stay in their homes who don't reach out to others because they feel like that's safer. And that's really the worst thing you can do. Mm. So it, it takes some effort. Um, maybe even letting just one person know I need some connection. I just don't know how to ask for it. And maybe they can reach out to you and say, Hey, let's have coffee or let's um, I'll come over and just sit with you for a little bit. We don't have to talk about anything, but if you're open to that, you know, that's where that emotional connection can grow. If you allow it. Very good. That's so, so important. And it was, it was horrendous that part. You know, the, uh, the biggest punishment is me to be cut off, 
to be mm-hmm. isolated. It was it was tough, you know, for, for somebody like myself who works on his mindset, you know, who's very resilient. That was tough, you know, mm-hmm. and actually even though it's not really got much of a precedence much uh, anymore, but Clubhouse was something that really helped at that time because even though we weren't meeting together, the having the voices, and I, I connected with some amazing people all over the world where we were literally in our own homes away from human contact, but hearing somebody's voice and sharing a common like ground was rescuing. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've noticed over time, social media has been the way that most people choose to connect. Um, we don't want to connect with people who are so close to us, like our coworkers, mm. uh, for example. And so we will easily pick up our phone and open an app and connect with someone that way. Even listening to podcasts is comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, just hearing, like you said, hearing someone's voice that, mm. that does something for us. Um, we also have to recognize like, it's not just about us getting, we have to be able to give that, Mm. right? But Mm -hmm. we can't give back to others if we don't fill ourselves up. And so filling ourselves up emotionally, um, you have to seek those healthy relationships. And back to the toxic relationship, when you are in a toxic relationship, you're being drained, Mm. right? You don't have anything else to give because it's being snatched from you. Mm -hmm. So recognizing, hey, I need to get out of this because I need to I need to be safe and I need to be healthy for other people. Yeah, definitely. And we've talked a little bit about self-love, but I would just want to ask you, uh, Leslie, what's your favorite like way for you to show yourself self-love? You know, we're talking about being secure, being healthy. Self-love is a, is a part, certainly a part of that. So what's like your favorite way to show yourself self-care? So this is, it might be an interesting answer. Um, I practice jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a blue belt at 10th planet jiu-jitsu in O'Fallon, Illinois. And the reason why I say that that is self-care, I see jiu-jitsu as my form of therapy. Um, when I go train, I train hard, as hard as I can. There are so many days when I'm tired from just, you know, talking to people all day long, I'm exhausted. Um, but I force myself to go train jiu-jitsu because I know when I get on the mat and I leave the mat, I'm going to feel so much better. Um, the reason why I started jiu-jitsu is Um, that year, I always choose a word for the year. And that year, my word was strength. And I wanted to find something I can do that would strengthen me, mind, body and soul. And jujitsu did that for me. I tried it one time and got hooked. Like that. I like that you have a word. I always try and wrap up my year in in a word. Um, And I've also done it where you'll literally list the months of the year and then you'll write a word next to each month. Um, that's interesting to do if you've never ah, done that. I'll try that. I it's like a that. it's an interesting like kind of like exercise. I, I do enjoy I do enjoy it, and it's quite interesting to see like the different words. Some of them are just really raw, but then some of them are really poignant. And then you realize that you know, even in a tough year, you can still find elements of of good. You know, and I think it's always important to keep that perspective. You know, regardless of whether we're going through difficulty or whether we're absolutely like flourishing. So yeah, thank you for sharing um, that one. Um, uh, I have one last question before you're free to share whatever else may be burning and, and let us know how we can find out more about you and, and interact. 
you mentioned a little bit about your new podcast, She Matters. I just wanted to just quickly capture that. Like, what's your what's your heart and vision for that? So I, I developed that podcast as my dissertation project. And the, the big idea was to help Black single mothers who experience depression and suicidal ideation um, to give them a free resource and for therapists that are helping that population, giving them this resource where they get psychoeducation to look at their, their attachment styles, looking at their relationships um, so they can develop healthy relationships. Um, so we do know that, you know, when we're isolated, we can fall into deeper depression. And the more depressed we feel, sometimes that thought of I want to har- harm myself, sorry, um, those thoughts can come up. And that's dangerous for the person that is the single mom where she has no support. Um, she has no way out, really. She's stuck in that situation. Um, so the more she's alone, the bigger that problem com- becomes for her. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted her to have this resource that she can just pick up her phone or her tablet or wherever she listens to podcasts and be able to get the information that will heal her. Love that. And again, it, you're, you're an echo of the, the idea that when we go through our own challenge and we come out the other end, we then want to support those that will go through what we've been through. And, and that's really the essence of leadership is how do I, take the the learnings and education of my own journey and then pass it down and hand a rope to those that, that are coming. And I always say that none of us can lead anybody from a place we haven't been ourselves before, which I think is one of my frustrations in the medical uh, arena when you've got people that are working with mental health that have never been depressed. Mm-hmm. I know that it it's not always going to be easy to find uh, doctors that have witnessed and experienced like struggles with their own mental health. But I think those that have been in that journey are so much better equipped and they're not just equipped with medicine. They're equipped with the right mindset and the ability of knowing exactly what that feels like. Yeah. One message I like to give all of my clients when I first meet with them is that whatever they have been through, it's not about them. It's about them being able to help the next person. And you never know when that opportunity is going to present itself. You're going to meet someone someday that you can say, hey, I've been through that. I know what that's like. And this is what I did to get better. So I think my experience of being abused and being a single mom the entire time (laughs) Um, I needed to go through that, not just for my own self, you know, my own journey, but I had to go through that so I could help the next person. And now my mission is to help single moms across the world. 110%. I couldn't agree with you anymore on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Sign my name next to what you just said there. <laughs> how, how do people find out more about you then, Leslie? And is there anything else that you, that you want to share just very quickly before we bring this into land? So you can find me um, on Instagram at Dr. Leslie Davis. Um, my website is www.ldcoachingandconsulting.com. Um, and I, if you Google my name, I just looked myself up the other night just to see what's out there. Um, but there are so many articles out there with my name attached to it. Um, one thing I did not share is that I'm also a heart mom, and that is very important to me. So my son has a very rare heart condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. 
And so he was basically born with half a heart. And the beauty of what I do now in my role at Washington University is I'm a staff therapist in the Heart Center at Children's Hospital in St. Louis. So I get to provide therapy for mothers whose babies have heart conditions. Um, and so that's very important to me um, to get to share my personal experience and my professional experience all in one. Is he doing okay? He's actually doing really well. So his heart condition um, before all the new research with um, the medical field, most babies would be born and go home and they would die within a few days. Um, so he's had four open heart surgeries since the time he was born. Um, and he just recently got a pacemaker just a few months ago. And so he's 18 now. He made it to adulthood. And that in itself is a miracle because most babies with his heart condition don't survive into adulthood. Wow. Well, yeah. we we speak blessings and strength over him. And thank you for uh, this great interview. I, I've loved the topic and all the discussions we've had and look forward to seeing your, your journey unravel. Uh, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to speak. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.